All right, you ready? Yes. Let's do it. What is up, guys and gals? Welcome to episode 5252 of the What Makes Us Human podcast. One year ago today, we were uh, imitating NPR ladies uh, talking about Battle of the Bulge. NPR ladies. Yeah. All right. You know, like, this is nice. Okay, here we go. Ready? All right. I think I'm ready. Okay. All right. Let's talk history. You know? All right. We're more comfortable now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Start with episode 13. Still like history. But... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we're more comfortable with the mic. Oh, yeah. And laughing and stuff and carrying on. I don't always edit out the inappropriate things that John says. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, okay. PSA. There's going to be some weird stuff in today's episode. But we'll be mature about it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, also did want to mention we talked about a special episode for our one-year episode. We had planned a interview for uh, we had planned an interview for this evening that unfortunately has uh, had to be delayed to another time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we thought this was going to be a fun topic. So let's let's see what we're talking about tonight, John. What do you what do you got? So tonight we are talking about cereal. Cereal. And the Kellogg brothers and their role and Mr. Post and all things cereal. Yeah, specifically, I guess, cold breakfast cereal. Yes. Because cereal is, you know, a generic term for grains and things. Yeah. And folks, don't turn off. Don't turn us off. Hang with us. I know we just said cereal, but this is going to be worth it. Trust me. Right, Jared? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, so John, what do you, what do you think when you think about cereal? How far back you think about cold breakfast cereal? How far back do you think it goes? Okay. So I heard a little something on this. I think I just whistled when I said something. I heard some info on a history podcast on this last year at some point, um, and that kind of I didn't realize this went as far back as it goes. Um. So I would have I would have said like the fifties, nineteen fifties, but I would have been totally wrong. Nineteen fifties, maybe kind of the golden age of cereal marketing. Yeah, or at least the start of it. I don't yeah. know sure, but yeah, maybe the nineties is the golden age of cereal marketing. But fifties is definitely when it kicks off. And you know uh, those those images on the box. It's creepy how. Uh, down to the T, they got with the image of Cat and Crunch, for instance. So he's, if you're six feet tall, he's not looking at you in the eye. But if you're four years old, oh yeah, he's okay. staring you right in the eye from the shelf. That's how good they get with this mess. And then you're like, Mommy, I want that one, you know. And there's no warning on Cat and Crunch that let that stuff soak a little, or it will tear the roof off your mouth, <laughs> you know. So yeah, sure. and I. I Obviously, um, I think it's well known by now that companies do pay for specific spots on the shelf, yep. specific heights and, and all of that. So, yep. Yeah, definitely all of that. So they can look little Johnny right in the eyeball. Absolutely. And you can beg your mom that that's what you want. You won't ask her for anything else if you can have whatever that is. Yeah. So for you, what year were you born? 1990. Oh, my gosh. All right, hold on a second. Just had a small heart attack. All right, so in 1996, when you were six years old, um, 
and I was a freshman in college. Uh, what was your go-to Saturday morning splash in a bowl cereal? At six years old, it probably would have been something like Fruit Loops. Ah, okay. Look, it might have been Frosted Flakes, but I feel like that came a little... I feel like I got into Frosted Flakes a little bit later. Fruit Loops is the toucan, right? Yes. Okay. Fruit Loops was up there. Somewhere in there, uh, French Toast Crunch came out as well, which is one I actually quit making for a while and recently brought back. And How I, did you mean Cinnamon Toast? No, French Toast Crunch. French Toast Crunch. Yeah. And when they brought it back, I had to go buy a box. Okay. But, um, yeah, that was... For a long time as a kid, French Toast Crunch was my favorite. Okay. What about you? Well, on Saturday mornings, uh, weirdly enough, I would get up and make a great big PB&J. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this. Yeah. yeah. A big glass of milk. But um, in the house, okay, here comes a big wrong, wrong, wrong. But this would have made the Kellogg brothers very proud. We had the Bran Flakes. Oh. Yeah. I've never eaten Bran Flakes. You're not missing anything, Jack. But what I would do to give them a little more character is I would let them sit a minute. Okay. And get a little soggy. So it's kind of wheat paste? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like cold cream of wheat. I've never, only ever had cream of wheat either. Yeah, that, yeah, I've never actually had cream of wheat. But, um, so yeah, I would let, and then one fateful day, I made the giant mistake of pouring, we talked about this too, of pouring myself a huge bowl of grape nuts. And you can't finish that. Uh-huh. Yeah, grape nuts to me is, uh, I, you ever mix cereals? I did not. That's, oh, that's awesome, man. That's a bit too much on the anarchy side. Oh, really? For my possibly um, autistic brain to accept that 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 doesn't work for me. Man, you get a little bit of corn. You get you get a base of cornflakes, a little bit of raisin bran, and then garnish it with some grape nuts. Oh man, it's awesome. That does not sound pleasant. And some whole milk. Well, the grape nuts just adds a little crunch. You know. Oh yeah. Good no, stuff. I did like. Uh, I don't want to make this one anymore. I did like. Uh, Quaker made it. They're just called O's. Yeah, and Quaker it's kind of, O's. It's kind of like a big Cheerio. Yeah, really crunchy stuff in the middle of. Yeah, I have sure what all that. That was pretty good. That yeah. had had a, had a lot of crunch to it. Remember nut and honey? I do not. And they they'd be like, "What you doing, nut and honey?" And he's in the the guy's hiding eating the cereal he ain't supposed to be eat or whatever. You don't remember nut and honey? No, I do okay. not. That's from way back. Yeah, you probably weren't even born yet. <laughs> so yeah, there's all sorts of cereal, man. Oh, absolutely. But the history of this mess, yeah, is something else. Yeah, I remember. I think it was actually a one of those impossible questions, or you know, one of those radio, yeah, you know, games where you call in. Okay. And uh, where I first learned, because the question was something to the effect of, this was popular with children. In Revolutionary War America, served with honey and milk. No idea. People called in, you know, normal suggestions, thinking of things like grits and hominy and things. Yeah. No, it was popcorn. Huh. Which to me, if you, I mean, if you think about taking popcorn and pouring milk and honey on it, that's kind of a pre, that's. Definitely seems like a precursor to breakfast cereal. That that seems like uh, corn pops, just you know, maybe not quite as good. 
Yeah, because the popcorn's going to get really soggy. Seems like. Yeah, so does anything if you let it sit long enough, I guess. But I'm going to have to try this. I don't know that I want to try it, but I can definitely see the, the through line there. Well, hey, let me tell you something, Jack. It's not whatever it whatever happens in your mouth after that popcorn goes in is not going to be what happened in your mouth with Vegemite. Did you try Vegemite? Uh, no, I couldn't get past Marmite. Okay, I could do the Marmite, but the Vegemite was so whatever. I'm going to try that because it can't be Vegemite. So Vegemite was like licking the deodorant out of the devil's armpit. That was horrible. So the uh, the origins of kind of our modern cold breakfast cereal, it, you know, it seems like a very American thing. Yeah. Yeah, especially the sugary breakfast cereals. You know, if you ever read stuff on what other countries think is weird that Americans eat, things like Reese Puffs are always at the top of the list. They're like, why, you know, why are you eating a bowl of sugar for breakfast? You know? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they'll drink juice. And juice has tons of sugar in it. Yeah. But anyway. But still, like orange juice is, again, very American. Is that right? It seems to be. Okay. I mean, you think about the last orange, time I you think about orange groves and and all of that. Florida. I mean, Florida, some places, Florida, California. I mean, some places like Spain might mix it with alcohol for breakfast, but that's nasty. But. I mean, it's not... I don't really think of, like, a big glass of juice either in a lot of other countries. Huh. Now, the South time, American countries. Yeah. Now, last time I had a big glass of orange juice, I got really sick. And it probably wasn't orange juice, but now I'm scared of orange juice. <laughs> yeah. So, in the 1800s, particularly uh, 1860s... Civil War era. Yep. There was a real concern... Because I guess there was nothing else for people to be concerned about during this time. There was a real concern with health and healthy eating. And particularly, uh, uh, there was a, a big health consciousness and vegetarian lifestyles were starting to become a thing. And people would go to these sanitariums for wellness retreats for healing for you know a wide variety of things now when okay hold up what's the difference in a sanitarium and a sanatorium because isn't one of those where you go for mental health well sanitarium is what we're talking about here so sanatorium must be the mental hospital okay uh let me confirm that because when i hear sanitarium I've always gone to like uh, Willowbrook Institute, and that is not where you want to go. Oh, apparently they're actually the same. They're interchangeable. Oh god! It's okay. um, but I guess maybe because you think about it was also used for places where where people would go for the good weather to heal from tuberculosis or whatever. So maybe it's kind of a general catch-all term for okay. kind of a hospital or a wellness center. All right. 1863, there's one of these sanitariums in Danville, New York, the Danville Sanitarium, run by Dr. James Caleb Jackson. And he is challenging his guests 
who are used to a breakfast of you know, bacon or sausage eggs. and eggs and grits or hash browns, biscuits. He is challenging Bagel. them to a more vegetarian lifestyle. Mm, terrible. So he comes up. Yeah, that's a good point. What the heck does a vegetarian do for breakfast? With something called granula. Not gran- not granola. Yeah. We'll get into that. But granula. Yeah. These are concentrated grain cakes. But they're so hard. It's like hard tack. That you have to soak them overnight. Just to be edible by morning. Overnight? Holy yeah. Even then, it didn't really taste very good. Wow. All right, so let's see. This is the beginning of milk on grain. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But overnight, I mean, if you let even Cat and Crunch uh, loosens up in five minutes. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. It's uh, well, I think you do that with steel cut oats, like Irish oats. Is that right? Like you soak them overnight. And I know I, I was kind of joking when I was like, what does a vegetarian do for breakfast? Yeah. Obviously, he eats cereal, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't so appetizing. No, it was overnight. Wow. In water or milk? Uh, both were used kind of interchangeably. I yeah, guess milk, milk overnight. Milk would maybe give more flavor yeah. I mean, if it didn't spoil. And this is pre-pasteurizing. I don't think we get to pasteurization until 1910 or something like that. So, One of his guests, Ellen G. White. Here we go. He's really inspired by his vegetarian lifestyle push. So much so that she incorporated into her newly formed Seventh Day Adventism, which religion. Which, if you're not into cereal, you're really shocked to to find the role Seventh Day Adventists play in what you eat for breakfast today. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. She was so impressed that she told one of later told one of her parishioners in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, where SDA kind of started, was founded. And put a pin in that, folks. Battle Creek, Michigan, to this day, if you mail something back off to the Kellogg Corporation, you mail it to that address. So, yeah. She told her parishioners about this guy in his sanatorium in New York. Mr. Jackson. And all about this granula so much so that uh, John Harvey Kellogg in her church who had been encouraged by the church to attend medical school and uh, go to Bellevue and all that to become a, a doctor who was also a Seventh-day Adventist he kind of so he kind of started off a, a sanitarium that matched their ideals right because they have specific rules around health so he goes there and he comes back and he kind of creates his own version creates this sort of biscuit of of oats and wheat and corn it's this hard little mass and he also calls it granula stealing the name jackson sued him of course so kellogg called his invention granola 
Cha-ching. Something we're all familiar with to this day. Now, can we can we dive in just for a second? Can, let's sure. pull over and park here for just a second. So, um, to the just if you're just passing by this, you're like, oh wow, that doesn't seem to make much sense. But actually, if you're a Seventh Day Adventist, this all makes a lot of sense. So, according to their theology, there I believe there are only so many slots in heaven. So, if you believe that you're getting in, it, it obviously means somebody else ain't getting in. And one of the way the ways to get to secure a space because there's only so many spaces uh, for people to make it in out of humanity um, are to not to take care of yourself, to not smoke, to not drink, but to take that. If you're trying to get one of these slots to get in, then you're going to obviously take it further because there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, I don't drink or smoke or, or chew or date chicks that do, you know, so you're going to want to take it further if you're taking care of your body. And that's where this kind of thinking comes into everyday life coming out of that uh, spiritual belief that these folks had. So you end up with um, uh, vegetarianism, uh, going to the nth degree with your diet and stuff like that. So, so John Kellogg, I guess Dr. John Kellogg, yep. and his brother, Will Keith Kellogg, who worked with him, began to try to come up with more breakfast items that were wholesome and, in their view, easier on the bowel than meat. <laughs> easier on the bowel. So they would, uh, they would started boiling wheat and rolling it out into sheets and then grinding it up. You kind of get like, if you soak it, you kind of get like a wheat paste again. Yeah. But one evening in 1894, they forgot about a pot of wheat and the next morning went ahead and rolled it out anyway. They didn't kind of combine into a sheet the way they were used to, but instead they emerged as hundreds of flakes. They had a whole new texture. Yep. They toasted these flakes. And, well, ultimately this technique would later become with corn, corn flakes, and what would be the wheat equivalent name? Well, when I think of wheat, I think of like frosted mini wheats, the little squares. Yeah, those are puffed. It's it's gonna be a. Can you do wheat the same you way? You can. I don't remember. It's gonna be one of those cereals that like you think of grandparents eating that tastes like nothing. Bran might be. Would that be like raisin bran? Maybe maybe just bran flakes. Yeah. Bran flakes. Yeah, because it. Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of just this bland. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it'd be bran flakes. So bran flakes, and then later his brother would take this and apply it to corn, and we get corn flakes. And much better frosted flakes, which are even there. Better. You go. Yeah, if you ever eat just straight up corn flakes, it's like man, I'm wasting my life away here. I I don't know. I'm I'm weird because I like a lot of the sweet cereals. Yeah. But I also can do corn flakes by themselves, or. Regular Cheerios by themselves. Now, regular cornflakes is the one with the orange and with the green and red chicken on the front, right? Yes. Okay, all right. His his brother, uh, W.K. Kellogg, kind of took one to take this and take off with it. Yeah. Um, his, his, uh, his physician brother was worried that it would damage his reputation as a doctor, so... So Will bought him out and uh, in 1906 began to package corn flakes and wheat flakes for sale. 
Very successfully. Absolutely. So before we move on, you want to camp out here on the Kellogg's a little bit? Yeah, okay. All right. All right, so Dr. Kellogg, John Kellogg, um, is not the nicest guy. Um, he was an interesting person. Very interesting. I feel like a lot of these people who ran these sanatoriums were interesting. Interesting. Um, That's probably still true of a lot of the wellness retreats you find out there maybe, today. Maybe. Uh, he was eight or nine years older than his brother, and it said that he would ride a bicycle for fitness, which at this time he didn't really do. See, he was ahead of his time on some things and way weird on some other things. So with physical fitness, he was a little ahead of his time, it seems. But he would make his brother run along beside the bike and transcribe thoughts that he had for later books and whatnot. And he seemed to write vociferously. Is that a word? On yes. a couple of things. Um, so he would write a lot on the bowels and how what you bring in uh, how it turns into what comes out. Um, he also seemed to be almost... And gut health was a big deal for for all these people that were in these sanitariums. Yeah. And that was a big push for these vegetarian diets and these vegetarian breakfast options and all that. Yeah, because if you had a headache or a toenail or an ingrown toenail, it seemed like it was blamed on your gut at this time. You know, today there's a push back to whole grains and things, but in their case, they wanted to remove the holes and the things that, that we see as beneficial today yeah. because they thought it was, the fiber was too hard on your gut. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. But he also, uh, this is what was shocking a little bit to me, he wrote a tremendous amount on the ill effects of masturbation. Um, and he had uh, things that he could do uh, if a parent were to catch a son or daughter in the act of that, uh, that they could bring their child into his office and he could um, do things to them with a needle or a carving knife uh, to prevent this from happening again. Um, he would sew some things. He would remove pieces of flesh uh, almost as a punishment for the act. Um, and he wrote a tremendous amount about this kind of thing. Um, he, he invented little cages that you could wear with a belt to keep you from accessing that area of your body. Um, just very strange. Um, I mean, it was really weird to look into this um, stuff. And I don't know if his brother bought into that. I don't believe he did because his brother ended up having... See, he also... His brother ended up having a wife and children. Yeah. His, this his guy brother never, becomes more of a mainstream businessman. Yeah. Yeah. And the, evidently, supposedly, Dr. Kellogg died a virgin. Um, I don't know if I believe that or not, but... Uh, so he was very, very specific that you were to not engage in sex. And I don't know if this, somehow for him, it was tied to your health. And I'm not quite sure how, but somehow um, I think he believed 
that sex had a negative impact on the overall health of your body. Or maybe this went back to some sort of his theology. Yeah, I was going to say, not that I'm not going to hold him up as a shining example of what every Seventh-day Adventist believes about everything. But when you look at the 25 core tenets of SDA beliefs, the first 20 or so seem like, well, you know, pretty much any group that calls itself Christian could probably buy into those. The Especially last, Protestant, yeah. Yeah, the last five get really strange really quickly. Right. It's, uh, it's not what you're to, expecting, typically. To, yeah, to, to a mainstream audience. So, um, yeah, there's there's some odd stuff there. Yeah. Um, so he was very interested in gut health. He was very interested in um, physical fitness. He wrote a tremendous amount um, about not having sex. He wrote a tremendous amount on uh, colonics. So he was—he seemed to be ahead of his time with probiotics, even though that's not what he would have called it, uh, and yogurt. Um, however... And I guess, Jared, you said before we started recording that they still do this in some places. He would um, he would basically perform an enema on the patient with yogurt. That's definitely one of those things that's still joked about with regard to uh, wellness okay. retreats. But I don't know if it's joked about because it's a real thing or if it's just joked about because, you know, the history. Like, I don't know if it's still a thing or not. Right. But, yeah. Um, so, uh, you got the colonics. Now, unfortunately, he was really overboard. He's probably the most, or the most Thelma and Louise over the cliff with eugenics of anybody I have ever seen. Oh yeah. Um, he so. Can you tell our listeners basically in a nutshell what eugenics would be? Some races are good. Some are bad. <laughs> I mean, right. Do everything you can to support the good and good races and do everything you can to keep the bad races down. Like, so right, so you see some of that with Hitler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hitler Hitler's the obvious example. Uh, but it was big in the US and Europe, um, in the early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. Um and but he was over the like he, he drew up charts that almost resembled well they did they resembled the charts that you may have if you're breeding dogs um where he would describe the way a person looked if you look this way you should only marry um and have children with a person that looked like this um and so forth and so on he i mean he basically was into breeding humans into the best human that you could come up with which is so not oh yeah (laughs) yeah um so he had some very strange, um, I feel like if you went on a weekend retreat with this guy, by the time you got to your destination and got out of the car on night one, you'd be like, oh. This was okay. a mistake. This, yeah, this is not just Tony the Tiger. This is, uh, yeah, this was a mistake. Um, so this fellow was very, very fascinated with um, sex and he kind of covered it up with being fascinated with not having sex. Um, there's a lot you can read into that with this guy. Um, I personally believe if he had not been interested in dietary needs and physical health and nutrition, um, if he hadn't have found that outlet, I'm, I personally feel it could have been some real negative 
things that could have maybe come from this guy. He's very... More so than did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was very into making sure other people didn't do certain things. That's the only way... You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, very manipulative, especially with his brother. And I could go on and on and on, but just to give you an overall view, um, he's very different individual. Yeah. Not, not a great guy. No. Serial. A visitor to the Battle Creek Santa sanitarium now you got me second every time i every time i say it another visitor to the battle creek sanitarium was a guy from texas named cw or charles william post post i can see the the circle with the word post in it right now he was so impacted by his visit that he opened up his own health resort in no battle pun in, creek no pun intended with impacted by the way oh at his health resort, he offered guests a coffee substitute he called Postum. Really? Postum is something you can still buy today. Does coffee make you have to go? Yes. Number two. Yes. If I drink a cup of coffee within the hour, we're going to have to pull over. Yeah. He also came up with a uh, more bite-sized version of uh, Jackson's uh, granola. Oh, okay. Which he called Grape Nuts. Really? I did not... Oh, okay. Oh. Which had neither grape nor nut in it. Right? Okay. I'm not sure... Having never eaten them, I'm not sure why they get that name. Are they kind of flavored like those things, or no? Okay, it's to me, it's like granola. Okay, it's just it, it just won't quit. He also came up with his own corn flake called Post Toasties that also became very successful. Post Toasties. Yep. Post Toasties. That that sounds like something. Hmm. Post Toasties. Also around the same time, so we're, you know, right around the turn of the century. Company not um, not in Battle Creek, but that had been around for a long time. That was the oldest hot cereal company. Oh, here we go. Quaker Oats. Quaker Oats. Which Quaker Oats was sort of came out of the combination of a number of different grain mills that were all kind of making similar things. Three of them in particular combined because one guy was good at marketing and one guy was right. good at running the business and one guy was good at the product or, you know, whatever. Yeah. We won't get into all that, but Quicker Oats have been around for a long time. Oatmeal was, was popular for a long time prior to this, but around this time, early 20th century, they acquired the technology to puff grains Puff it up. So they, you know, essentially use air to puff up a kernel of rice or or another grain. So you get, from here you get Rice Krispies, you get, uh, uh, what's the wheat one you said earlier? The puffed... Uh, oh, uh, uh, yes. Shredded wheat. Sh- mm. Yeah. Okay. I thought you said something else. Earlier. The little bricks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or corn puffs, or you know, whatever. Corn puffs, yeah. Take, take your pick. Yeah. And somehow Rice Krispies, they do that snap, crackle, pop. Yeah. Once the milk hits them. Yep. 
It's a cereal that talks back. It does. So there's really, you've got the Kellogg's, you've got Post, you've got Quaker getting into the mix. And then uh, in the 1920s, kind of based around advertising and, again, several groups coming together, you get the fourth big cereal manufacturer, General Mills. Mm. You know, when I was a little kid, I thought that GM stood for General Mills for a long time. Oh, yeah. General Motors, yeah. I thought, I was like, do they make the cars? I mean, I was real little. Yep. But do they make the cereal in the same place they make the car, you know? Yep. Uh, 1921, James Ford Bell, president of a Minneapolis wheat milling firm, began experimenting with his own rolled wheat flakes. They would temper, steam, and crack the wheat and then process it with uh, syrup, sugar, and salt. Mm. Process it in a pressure cooker and then dry it out. So by 1925, you have Wheaties. Okay. Wheaties became the breakfast of champions. Nice. And this is really where you get into the advertising. Yeah. Because they really go all out. I didn't realize Wheaties was that early. Yeah, they really pushed it after World War II, and everybody did after World War II. But Wheaties started pushing this early on by sponsoring baseball games and radio programs. So they've always been into the, the Michael Jordan figure kind of thing? The being on the Wheaties box. Really? Was it, has it always been orange? I don't, I don't think the box has really changed much. Like, like the picture on the Wheaties box became a thing, I think, after World War II. That was when they really started pushing it. Okay. With, you know, particular figures being on a Wheaties box. Yeah, the better but, technology. Yeah. Yeah. Better printing and all that. Cheaper printing. But after World War II, so, well, during the war, with the rations on meat and things... Cereals are pushed as a, this is a patriotic way to ah. you know, still get what you need for breakfast to start your day in a healthy way. But also, you know, save, save the meat for the boys overseas or, you know, whatever. After World War II, they shift their marketing increasingly to children. So this is when you start to get a lot of the sugary cereals. Yeah. Uh, the product's even more refined to remove fiber. And you get characters for advertising. Cereal gets creepy. You get Tony the Tiger and the Rice Krispie L's and Trick's Rabbit. Um, Honey Smack. Sugar Smacks. Sugar Smacks, that's yep. it. With the frog. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sugar Smacks, created in 1953, had 56% sugar by weight. With more sugar than anything else. Holy cow, more sugar than the milk. Well, that's by weight dry. Oh, okay, yeah. So I got to say here, so um, we're seeing the ghost of Dr. Kellogg. Now, he's still alive probably. I forget when he died, but... Oh, you mean he's still probably alive in the after World War II? Yeah, yeah. but you're seeing kind of the ghost of his... You're seeing what he... His influence, there we go, on this industry because... When everything else died in 29 and 1930 and 1931, 1932, when America was dying on the vine financially, he was going freaking gangbusters, making money hand over fist. Um, and one of the things that they did, now he went on a tour in Europe at some point, and when he came back, his brother had 
taken over, had built a factory and was making cereal, but he added salt and sugar. Yeah. And it just went nuts. And so he really set the gold standard. He set the bar. There we go. He set the bar for for then later in history when the boys get home from World War II and start having kids. Um, they, they marry their girlfriends, and then they start having kids. Um, it sets the stage for all these characters and cereal is, you know, manufactured and advertised towards these real youngins. Yep. Yeah. And uh, back to sugar smacks for just a moment. I can remember as a kid, I think I convinced mom to get them one time. And even as a kid, remember I ate a bowl and thought this is entirely too sweet. And I never wanted it again. Really? Okay. Like I could do what would be a really uh, sweet one. Lucky charms or something. Oh yeah. Marshmallows in it which is basically just hard sugar, but I couldn't do sugar smacks. I don't know if I ever even had sugar smacks. But, yeah, that's, uh, you're right. It just absolutely takes off from there. So between 2016 and 2017, okay, more recent time, Americans purchased 3.1 billion boxes of cereal. Boxes? Boxes. Dang. Mostly ready cold cereal, what we've been talking about. And in fact, it's a $9.8 billion market, and cold cereal purchases are 88%. Hot cereal is 12%. Wow. So, so I start my morning most mornings with a cup of oatmeal at work um, before we have our meeting. And then. And you're part of that 12%. I'm part of that 12%. Yeah. Yep. Now, I did have a bowl of Rice Krispies dry the other day. We went and saw Carrie's mama in the hospital, and uh, she's doing better. And. Uh, she didn't eat her Rice Krispies at breakfast, and that was just sitting there at lunch, and I cracked it open and just sat there and ate it like potato chips. So it did not snap, crackle, or pop. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a, there's been a push towards healthier cereals, or at least cereals that appear to be healthier, over the last, I don't know, decade or so. And they're getting expensive. Um, Real healthy ones. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's getting expensive. <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a big market. Have you ever put fruit in your cereal? No, I mean I'm familiar with it, but again, that that sort of contrasting texture does not no. does not sit well with me. I remember the first time I saw somebody cut off pieces of banana and put it in their cereal, and I was just like, "What the heck is that?" My grandmother does this, and when I was a kid, she would want to she would want to do that with like my Cheerios or whatever, and I'm like. No, I mean, I'll eat a banana. You know, hand me the banana. I'll eat the banana and the bowl of cereal, but I do not want the two mixed. No, no. Now, my granny one time, I said something about cereal, and it was like nighttime. And I was getting ready to watch a TV show, which will go unmentioned now that I think about it. Um, (laughs) And right before the show came on, I said, hey, I'll could go for a bowl of cereal. And she says, cereal, it's, you know, 7.45 at night. And she said, hold on a second. And she comes, she goes in the kitchen and she comes back from the kitchen with this blue square shaped piece of Tupperware. You know what it had in it? No. Okay, I thought you were getting ready to say it. Um, She had crumbled up cornbread and poured milk over it. Oh. And dude, that was the best thing ever. Yeah, I love cornbread and milk. I wouldn't have thought of Okay, I wonder yeah. when someone said cereal. Yeah, but but I don't think she had any cereal that she thought I'd be interested in. Yeah. So she, and I, man, that was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
yeah, it is a it is a cereal grain kind of it contains a cereal grain yeah. served with milk. But yeah, so good. Mm. All right. Anything else? Well, let me just tell you, if you want to really uh, study a weird dude, get back to Dr. Kellogg. Um, really, uh, really strange fellow. Uh, you might not want to, but you know. Yeah. Get ready if you do. So in his later, I will add, in his later years in life, uh, in his mid-80s, he finally wrote a letter to his brother and saying that he would like to reconcile and that he was uh, deeply apologetic for if he had treated him, because he knew he had treated him poorly throughout their lives. Um, and he was saying, offering an apology and, and basically put the ball in his brother's court to, to reach out to him if he would like. Well, his secretary typed up the letter and slid it in her desk and never mailed it. Oh. So years later, his brother did find it. Um, and and that was somewhat of a... What's the word I'm looking for? For him. I can't think of it. But it, it made him feel better that at least that there was the offer out there, even though he never got to, to reach out to his brother before he died. But he did... Um, they did have adjoining burial plots. And at some point, his younger brother got a different burial plot that was humongous. And it's on people still to this day go to see it out there in Michigan. Um, and like 15, 20 feet away is Dr. Kellogg's site. And nobody even realizes he's over there. And it's kind of like his, you know, sticking it to his brother, even in death, you know. So they did not get along. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, look those guys up. The next time you crunch down on a bowl of cereal, buddy, it was a long road to get there. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask. Uh-oh. No, it's nothing bad. Were you ever did you ever care about like the prizes in the box of cereal? Because huh? that goes to this marketing at children and things that we talked about. See, that's how I was familiar with Battle Creek, Michigan. Okay. Because if you ever were to send off proof of purchase or anything that's where you even to this day that's probably where you'd send it yeah yeah it's like the international hub of cereal probably do it online or something now. Yeah, yeah 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 so yeah I, I did that and i can't think of there was one particular thing i was interested with and i just can't dig it out i can't think no no pun intended dig it out but yeah there'd be a prize in the cereal um yeah I, I, being being a kid I usually cared far more about the the rare instances where there'd actually be a prize in the box as opposed to, oh, you have to just get three proofs of proofs of purchases and send it off to get yeah, the prize, you know. Yeah. But so I don't know that I ever actually did that. Is it cereal in a Christmas story? No, that's Ovaltine, isn't it? Mm. Was that Ovaltine that he was and he had to crack the code and it ends up saying buy more Ovaltine? And he's so upset. <laughs> yeah. Um and did you, when you were a kid, were there like mazes or puzzles, things on the back of the box? Yes. Yeah. That's always, and to this day, I think, when I'm eating something, particularly if there's not anybody else around, I'm not trying to be rude, you know, if my wife's sitting across the table from me or something, but if there's not anybody else around, I want something to read or something to do while I'm eating. Right. Well, your dad would read the paper. And I think it usually, yeah. I think it actually goes back to that. Yeah. 
Um, you know, there was there was a maze on the back of the box. There was a puzzle, something to read, some facts about you know whatever. Yeah. So yeah, goes back to cereal box. The day before the cell phone. Yep. Now I will say I don't like it when somebody comes in a room and there's a few people. Like in the break room at work or something, and everybody's on their phone, and somebody's like, "Look at all these people on there. And I want to be like, "Yeah, we're all reading." Yeah. Or, or you're watching. You may be watching a video, but most of us are reading something. Yeah. Um, but in the day before the cell phone, though, you know, you may have. I'd have to get up and go to the drawer in the kitchen and find a pencil or a pen, and then come back and sit down and do my thing. You know, just it was kind of nice sure. before the cell phone. Well, yeah, you were, you were doing whatever it was in the back of the box while your mom was you know, encouraging you to hurry up and eat so you can get ready for school, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, I always kind of push back against some of that because it's like, oh, well, before people were just looking at their phones, they were looking at a newspaper or a magazine or something, right, you know, yeah. in, in a group like that. So it's not like cell phones magically made us pay less attention to people. We pretty much always found ways to pay less attention to the people right. around us. But Now, I will say, after, once I got a little older, my mom started coming home well, I would actually go to the grocery store with her on Saturdays for a long time. But um, we would go to the Harris Teeter near the house. Okay. But she discovered, well, she probably already knew about it, but she started buying me the microwavable pancake stack. Oh, okay. oh man. That was like the best thing to start your Monday morning before school with a big old stack of microwave. I love those things. You were an only child. Yes. We did not get such things. I didn't think about that. That's funny. And I and see I would we were, we were just happy if we had name brand cereal versus whatever came in just the uh, here my stack of pancakes. A stack of microwave pancakes. Pancakes are cheap to make. Yeah. But they were good. Those were easy. See that way I could do my own breakfast. You didn't have to worry about, you know. Yeah. But I also discovered that I felt a little yucky if I drank a big glass of milk and had all that syrup. So that's when I started spreading grape jelly on my pancakes. Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. That's good stuff, buddy. Just replacing one sugar with another. Yeah, but not as much. Okay. Not as much. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we always love to hear from our listeners. So reach out to us. Tell us what your favorite cereal is or if you have a particular memory associated with cereal. You can email us at wmuhpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at wmuhpodcast. And if you incorporate Vegemite or Marmite into your breakfast, I really want to hear about this. So please email us about that. All right. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you next week. All right. Starting a whole nother year. Later.